0: Our first scripture reading today is the 93rd Psalm. The Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded with strength. He has established the world. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring more majestic than the thunders of mighty waters, more majestic than the waves of the sea. Majestic on high is the Lord. Your decrees are very sure. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Amen. Our second scripture reading is found in Mark 8. I'll be reading verses 31 through 38 in Mark chapter 8. Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When we think of the term worship, it is likely that most of us think of worship in a corporate setting. In other words, in what we call a church building with all the trappings, like some of which you see here. The word worship comes from the Old English meaning worthiness or acknowledgement of worth. It is defined as the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration of God. And when we think in terms of corporate worship or when we gather with others to offer our worship, there are many, many ways this is done. And so I decided this week to Google types of worship. And I would like to share with you a sampling of the results that came through Google. So this first slide uh, is from a Quaker meeting and it's a Swarthmore Friends Quaker meeting. You can see they are seated around this uh, scripture in the middle of them and uh, coming from where two or three are gathered in your name, there I am in, in the midst of you. And I'm going to read to you from their website. And all of these I'm going to read from their website describing their worship. Swarthmore Friends is an unprogrammed meeting, which means that we have no designated clergy and no formal program of events during worship. We believe that each person can experience God directly, and in meeting for worship we gather in silence to search for divine guidance through individual communion with God. In the meeting's stillness and gathered seeking, the worshiper may receive a gift of spiritual guidance or fresh insight. Often this leading is meant only for the one who receives it. Other messages may seem intended for the entire meeting body, and the person who receives such a message rises to share it. Meeting formally starts at 10 a.m., but some worshipers begin to settle into silence even earlier And this signals the true beginning of meeting. As others join the meeting, the silence deepens and continues for about 50 minutes, broken only when someone rises to speak. Easton, how would you like that if we just came and sat in silence for 50 minutes? And that's all we did, okay? About 10.50 a.m., a member of the meeting's worship and ministry committee, which i got to say would be a pretty good job. I mean, there's not a whole, you know... This person rises to ask for requests to hold people or situations in the light. This is similar to a request for prayers and other faith communities. Meeting concludes about 11 a.m. as all shake hands and greet each other. I read a quote from someone who is a Quaker, and they asked, is it hard to stay awake? And the person said, oh, yes, it's very, very hard to stay awake for 50 minutes. Uh, sometimes it's hard to stay awake even when it's not silent, huh? Uh, Slide two, this is Rochester United Methodist Church in Rochester, Illinois, Uh, from their website. Join us for any of our Sunday worship services at Rochester United Methodist Church. We worship Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Because of varying tastes in music and styles of worship, Rochester United Methodist Church has two distinct worship styles on Sunday morning. I'm guessing this is the more traditional one. Okay, slide number three. This is St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Greencastle, Indiana. Episcopalians worship in many different styles, ranging from very formal, ancient, and multi-sensory rites with lots of singing, music, fancy clothes called vestments, and incense to informal services with contemporary music. Yet all worship in the Episcopal Church is based in the Book of Common Prayer, which gives worship a familiar feel no matter where you go. At St. Andrews, we span the spectrum of worship styles. All right, number four. This is Fairmont Presbyterian traditional style worship in Kettering, Ohio. The sanctuary is ideal for this traditional worship style where the Presbyterian liturgy guides the service. Hymns and chancel choir are accompanied by our beautiful pipe organs. A time with our children is led by the children's minister, after which the children go to their Sunday school classes. This is Fairmont Presbyterian casual in Kettering, Ohio. The fellowship hall is ideal for this informal worship where refreshments are continually available and worshipers dress casually. Music is led by our praise band. Scripture and songs are projected onto a screen. The sermon is often interactive and children remain with their parents. This is Lanier Lanier Hills Church in Gainesville, Georgia. They describe themselves as Baptist-like. thought that was interesting. Your worship experience will be dynamic, electric, and energetic. The service will last an hour and 15 minutes and include extended modern worship, relevant teaching, and the use of other modern media. Preschool children meet during both services. The children enjoy large group teaching with a puppet show and backlight dance party during the 11 o'clock service. Hello. Um, This one is from the people of Praise in South Bend, Indiana, describing themselves as a charismatic Pentecostal ecumenical community. Next. This is Griffin, First Assembly of God in Griffin, Georgia, uh, from their website, Griffin First Assembly, an Encounter Life Church as a member of the Assemblies of God USA. Assemblies of God is the world's largest Pentecostal denomination with over 65 million members and adherents. So going through these, I decided to try to get a, a snapshot of three of our sister churches, if you will, in the area. So slide number nine, the next one, that is First Baptist Memphis, just I, I would guess a typical uh, Sunday morning. And then the next one is Second Baptist Memphis. And finally, number 11, that is Trinity, Cordova. So thank you very much for uh, helping me out there. And so you see there is a style of worship for everyone, from total silence to a backlight dance party, okay? And all of that is well and good. We have chosen at our church, of course, to have a more simple and traditional style of worship. Sometimes we use multimedia. And there are many who have not or would not feel that this type of service fits their style, just as the backlight dance party likely would not fit my style. One thing, however, runs consistently throughout all these worship styles, and that is what I just mentioned, that word, my. Isn't it interesting to hear ourselves talk about my worship style as if worship is about me. We go back to the definition, a feeling or expression of reverence and adoration of God, but we add another phrase to that. A feeling or expression of reverence and adoration of God on our turn. Peter experienced that in our reading from Mark today. Jesus said, look, guys, this is what's going to happen to me. It's not going to be pretty. In fact, it's going to be pretty rough out here. They're they're going to abuse me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again in three days. It's going to be ugly. Peter rebuked him. No, no way. That's not going to happen. You're going to do this on our terms. Jesus told him, Your mind, you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. In the message, Max Saint, it says, you have no idea how God works. It would appear that Peter was not thinking of reverence or adoration, but was thinking more of his own needs. But isn't that what we do? (laughs) That style of worship doesn't meet my needs. I'm not able to worship in that setting. The music's too fast. The music's too slow. It's boring. It's too busy for me. You're not meeting my terms for worship. Jesus said, Peter, this is not about your terms. It's about the heavenly realm. It's about divine things. It's about God. And then he decides to make sure they really understand what he's saying. He, he says, all right, come, everybody come real close. He called the crowd in with the disciples. And he said, if any of you want to be my followers, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Or if you want to save your life, you will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Might we be able to generalize this to the act of worship? Deny ourselves, follow Jesus, not lead Jesus on our terms, lose our lives, lose ourselves. For the sake of God. Sounds a lot like reverence and adoration to me. And that leads to my last point this morning. So often we ponder worship in terms of being together in a service. And I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we might be led to believe that is the only way we can worship. Well, I come to Olive Branch Fellowship on Sunday morning, i worship at 9.30, and then I'm finished for worship until next Sunday. It's almost like I say to myself, all right, got that done. I can check it off my list. Now let me get on to other things this week. I know that I tend to fall into that pattern sometimes. And I would suspect that others do too. Our Lenten series is exploring the spiritual discipline of engagement. And beginning today and for this coming week, we're studying engagement in terms of worship. Our author begins our reading today with an interesting thought. He writes, Worship is an event, but it is also a posture of living. What an interesting phrase. Worship is a posture of living. Of living. He then goes on to write, we live our lives in worshipful response to God's goodness when daily we speak words of thanks and praise to God and live lives of loving service, not for what we will gain, but simply to say thank you to God. Have you ever thought of worship as a posture of living, that by simply speaking words of thanks to God, we are being worshipful. As I've told you, I'm planning to retire from Northwest at the end of this semester. And just for fun, I decided at the beginning of the semester to make two lists. One is a list of things that I won't miss when I retire. The other is a list of things that I will miss. And I will admit that the list of things I won't miss is carrying the day at about a five-to-one clip over the things I will miss. Now, if anyone from Northwest is listening to this sermon in the blogosphere, please know I love my job, I love my career, and I love Northwest. But I think it's just a natural tendency that the longer we work somewhere, the more likely we are to be less thankful and more critical. I just think it comes with the territory. The same could be said about relationships. The longer folks are together, the greater tendency there is to take things for granted and to be overly critical and not thankful enough. And as I pondered that this week, it made me wonder is that tendency the same in the Christian life? And we've all witnessed the excitement, the joy, the gratitude of a brand new believer. It's like they want to talk about their new life all the time. They're so grateful, so exuberant. And then, as the years pass by, well, you get the picture. Let's just admit it. It's very easy to get to the point in our Christian walk where we turn things around and instead of being focused on the one whom we worship, we put the focus on ourselves. The author of our study gives a simple and refreshing alternative for us to ponder this week. He quotes Dallas Willard in regard to worship. We engage ourselves with, dwell upon, and express the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God. The author then writes, In that way, worship is profoundly countercultural. We offer ourselves not for what we will get or feel, but because God's presence and gracious goodness is worthy of praise. And so I ask you to join me this week. Let's try this out. Let's try answering the question, why is God worthy of our worship? And certainly if we ask ourselves that question, we should be able to come up with some answers. Why is God worthy of worship? What are some reasons that we can give For God's worthiness. Whatever those reasons are, let's express them to God. What will we find in our week that is an expression of God's greatness? What will happen to you at work or at home this week that reflects God's greatness? What about His beauty? The picture of the sunset on the front of the bulletin was taken by Martha on our way to Rachel's a couple of weeks ago. When we see something that beautiful, do we pause to express the beauty of God and to thank Him for it? What in your world this week will reflect God's beauty? I saw those geese out there just standing straight and tall and just completely silent and still. And then I saw him just raise the biggest ruckus you could ever see. It's like, it's just, to me, that's just the beauty of God's creation. You know, worship is an event. And I'm glad to engage in this event with you all every week. But worship can also be a posture of living. When we think of the word posture, we usually think of the position of our bodies, maybe a pose. But an additional definition could be a particular way of dealing with or considering something, an approach or attitude. Synonyms include attitude, stance, standpoint, point of view, opinion, position, state of mind. It may be that we ponder our posture this week. What is our attitude? What is our state of mind? What is our posture of living? And why should we ponder these things in relation to God? Because God is worthy of our worship. Let's pray.